nourishment grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness, truthfulness, sorry, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together as believers, to come together and hear your word. And we just ask right now, Father, that your words would be in Janita's mouth, that she would speak what you've told her to speak, and that you you would prepare our hearts to receive, open our ears to hear what you are saying to us. Give us understanding of your word that we might receive and know what you are saying to us this day. Mm-hmm. We just ask this right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So I am um, speaking on behalf of Robin today. And as you can see, I look a little different. I'm a little shorter. <laughs> Hopefully you can see me. Um, But yeah, he gave me this word, and so I'll be sharing his word to you as best that I can. And so, yeah, the the title of the message is To Glorify and Enjoy the One True God. So there was a survey taken some years ago in which a senior executive of some of the top companies in America were asked what their job was. And strange as it may seem, it turned out that many of the top leaders of these companies had a hard time remembering exactly what their job was. They had become so bogged down with all the details that they had forgotten the big picture and they lost their vision. Anyone who works in management knows that time management systems recognize this problem. They encourage managers to write down their goals and objectives regularly and review them. That way they can see if what they're doing on a day-to-day basis lines up what their declared goals and purposes are. So why do we come together on a Sunday morning? What is our goal in coming here? Are we here to learn more about God? Are we here to be built up in our faith and to be ministered to? Are we here because it says in the New Testament that we should gather together and we're being obedient, even if we just don't feel like it? Are we here because we feel our salvation depends on being at church every Sunday? Or are we simply here out of habit? We need to know why we come together on a Sunday. 
like those same managers in the business industry, if we don't have a clear sense of why we come together, we will never know if we are accomplishing it or not. Like them, we may be bogged down with all the details and we end up being more concerned about how we do things than why we are about what it is what we're supposed to be doing. In January this year, Robin took over the production of the Sunday Morning Bulletin. He had a hand in editing it, uh, and in January, it came, became his entire responsibility as he was part of the pastoral team. Although he says that giving credit to where credit is due, now uh, much of the work is done by symbol, and his role is simply checking and editing. So he said, if you want to compliment the bulletin, you can do that to symbol, and if you have any complaints, you can take that to Robin. (laughs) Historically, there's always been a different picture on the front of that bulletin every Sunday along with a quote, but since... Robin says, unlike James, he doesn't have the huge database of pictures and quotes at hand. He decided to go for a standard picture on the front page. And he said the picture was easy to choose. It was the stained glass windows. And they're beautiful and also iconic of this community. So that left the question of some kind of text to put on the front of the bulletin, and Robin had been looking at the church constitution again in preparation for joining the interim staff, and he was struck by the purpose statement of the church. And the purpose of the church was, this is what it says, to glorify and enjoy the one true God, to grow together in Christ-focused faith, to give grateful service to God and people and to go and share Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He had read it before but when he, became, when he became a member, but he hadn't seen it anywhere else except in the Constitution. And he said it's such a good purpose statement. He thought it was a shame not to have it in a more prominent place in our church life. So it went on the front page of the bulletin. Over the next four weeks, Um, We're going to be looking at those four statements. He wanted to break them down over the next four weeks. We're going to be revisiting why we are here, starting this morning with the first one, which is to glorify and enjoy the one true God. We could probably spend an entire sermon on each word of that statement, but we won't. And when we say the one true God, We're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, revealed in the Old Testament, as John says in chapter 1 of his gospel, made fully known to us in Jesus Christ. It would be worthwhile to have a conversation of whether we and our neighbors are talking about the same person when we talk about God, and maybe we will at some point in the future, but not today. So we're going to spend our time looking this morning, focusing on what it means to glorify and enjoy God. When we say that our purpose is to glorify God, what do we mean by that? Perhaps more to the point, what does the Bible mean when it calls us to glorify God? Because it does say that. In the passage that was read for us, we hear, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. And then 1 Peter 4, 16 says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay, so we're supposed to glorify God, and the word glorify means to bring glory or to give glory to someone or something. So we're supposed to give glory to God. That's great, but what is glory? Can I go down the street and buy a kilo of glory and offer it up to God? Not really. There's a lot written and preached about the glory of God. It's a word that we actually use a lot in church. It's our, in our hymns and our worship songs. To God be the glory. Glory to God in the highest. It's in our prayers, and we pray in Jesus' name to the glory of God the Father. But if we're honest, we don't often think about what the words actually mean. Even when people try to define glory, it often doesn't help. Here are some quotes from John Piper. The first one is, The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is the infinite worth of God made manifest. Another one is, We may define the glory of God as the beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Another quote is, God's glory is the outward radiance of the intrinsic beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. Those three quotes are all mouthfuls, and I'm not exactly sure what they mean. Usually, if you ask what glory means, the answer has something to do with either fame or shining light, and those ideas are certainly there in Piper's definitions that we just read. And in Hebrews, the word that we translate as glory doesn't actually have anything to do with light. It comes from a root that has to do with weight or heaviness. Actually, the Hebrew word is kabod, which is the weightiness of God. Those who were young in the 60s and 70s, this is what Robin says, I was just born then, (laughs) they might have said, God is heavy, man. (laughs) And they said that without realizing how close they were to scripture when they were saying this. (laughs) We have the same idea in English when we talk about someone who's a heavyweight or in their field at work. We're not usually talking about their size, but we're talking about their reputation, their influence, about what makes them who they are. In the same way, when the Bible talks about God's glory, it's talking first about who God is. In Exodus 33, 18, um, Moses says to God, now show me your glory. And in response in Exodus 34, 6 to 7, God proclaims this, his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and full of steadfast love and faithfulness, showing love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So based on Exodus 34, which, by the way, is the foundational text in Scripture for the character of God, I want to suggest that the glory of God is found in his character, in who he is. 
And when we glorify God, we reflect back to him who he is. And we affirm who he is in our words and in our actions. I think that what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3.18, and we are all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we see God's character in Christ and allow God's Spirit to work that character into our lives, we become more like him. We're transformed into his image, which in turn makes us more able to reflect his glory and his character back to him. So how can we bring this back to practical terms? It's all very well to say, glorify God, but what does that look like in our daily lives? How how many of you have heard about the book called The Five Languages of Love? Some of, most of us, actually. And this book, The Five Languages, um, Love Languages, was published in 1992 about improving your relationship with your spouse. So basically, it says that we all experience love differently. For some people, it's important that their spouse says that they love them. For others, it's more important that their spouse does nice things for them, and so on. So Chapman talks about five main ways that we can express love to each other. They they are quality time, giving gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation, and physical touch. And each of these love languages are really a way of expressing how much we value the other person. It's a way of strengthening our relationships. So in the same principles, they apply to our relationship with God We can't actually touch God, so physically touch isn't an option, although sometimes we can feel his presence and that can be like touch. But I think that the other four are real helpful ways to think about making this goal of glorifying God practical in our daily lives. And so we'll start with affirmation, words of affirmation, because that's probably the way we mostly Uh, naturally gravitate when we think about glorifying God, speaking out words of thanks and praise to him for who he is and all that he's done for us. So we do that every Sunday morning as we come together and we worship him. We use words of praise to God in the highest degree possible. And that's how the, the dictionary actually defines glory, to praise, to praise to the highest degree possible. But we don't have to wait until Sunday morning to tell God how much we appreciate him. If you only told your spouse or the people that you live or work with how much you appreciate only during a 20-minute period once a week, I think they might be justified in expecting more from you. Take time during the week to praise God and tell him how much you love and appreciate him. And then last week, Robin spoke from Peter, 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11. It says, toward the end of the passage, Peter writes, If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Your translation may read that in all things God may be praised in Jesus Christ. The Greek word for glorify is often translated as praise in some versions. 
And as we see, the ideas of, of glorify and praise are very close. So, but here, Peter's talking about what Chapman would call acts of service, acts that express God's character, that reflect um, that character into the world, and then back to him. In particular, acts that are compassionate and gracious, which are the first two words God uses to describe himself in Exodus 34. So God rebukes the kings of Judah in Jeremiah 22, and he says, Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hands of their oppressors those who have been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. These aren't just words for kings. These are words for all of us because these are the acts that reflect the glory of God. We glorify God when we act like him in grace and compassion. Then the third love language is giving gifts. Every Sunday, we take up an offering. Why do we do that? Well, the practical on a practical level, we do it because it takes money for St. Paul Union Church to operate. We have to pay rent and utilities on this space. We have to pay the copyright fees so we can print words of the songs that we use in worship and so on. But the reason that we call it the offering rather than money needed for expenses is that all through scripture, giving something to the community of God has been seen as a way of expressing appreciation for God. In the Old Testament, the, old, the whole burnt offering was completely burnt up. With all the rest of the offerings, some parts were burned and other parts were eaten. And the tithe was used completely to feed the priests and the poor. So we can glorify God by singing and saying words about him and to him about his great character and deeds. We can glorify God by acts of service to others, especially acts that reflect his grace and his compassion for other people. And we can glorify God by giving gifts of money or of things that are dedicated to him and his work. Finally, we can just spend quality time with God. Turn off Netflix, put down your book, close your computer, and just spend time with God. That looks very different to different people. For some, it means reading scripture. For others, a walk along the beach or in a forest. And for others, just sitting quietly in a comfy chair with a cup of coffee and their journal. There are lots of ways to spend quality time with God. The classic book on the subject is Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, who learned to spend quality time with God while washing the dishes in the monastery. However you do it, when you spend quality time with him, you're telling him how much you value your relationship with him and you're glorifying him. And that feels nat- that feeds naturally into just enjoying God. So how do you en- enjoy a person? Usually by spending time with them, talking about things that are important to both of you and appreciating who they are and um, what they do. We've already talked about spending quality time with God in worship, in prayer, and in scripture, but we can spend time in his creation recognizing that it reflects him. In a verse from the old hymn that says, 
Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. I'll close with a quote from another writer on this topic. It says, what might it mean to enjoy God? I might mean talking, taking ourselves, it might mean taking ourselves less seriously or not imagining that the world is anxiously awaiting for us to complete whatever work we have taken on. Perhaps it means sitting on a rock at the edge of a lake, feeling the rhythms as the wind corrugates the water surface, and then giving thanks for the opportunity to hear and feel such signs of the creation, which God called good. According to the biblical witness, a witness that also described humanity as very good before any of us had done a lick of work, met a deadline, fixed a meal, prepared a strategic plan, balanced our checkbook, or painted a picture. Each human being has an unmeasurable value and deserves respect because each of us is a handiwork of God. We cannot add to that by working 16 hours a day to maximize our profits for our our company. We can do nothing to merit God's love by making sure our kitchen cabinets are in order, that I'm guilty of, or that the oil is changed in our cars, or that we earn enough to buy the most expensive version of the Apple Watch. No, our task is quite different than that. Our task is to glorify God which I think mostly means recognizing the one who is God and expressing our gratitude for the divine gifts that he has showered upon us. Our task is to enjoy God forever, which I think mostly means noticing how the lilies grow and responding with, wow. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for who you are. And I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to just look at you and with just awe and wonder and glorify you. God, that we would see each other through your eyes and just realize that each one of us is a creation from you and that we are valuable. And Lord, I just, I thank you for just who you are. And I pray that our lives would reflect you, that they would reflect your glory. And as people meet us, they would say, wow, I got to be in the presence of God because they've been in the presence of God. And so we just thank you, God, for who you are. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.